faith. So I'll pick it up today at verse 47, John chapter 6, verse 47 through 65. 47 through 65. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There you go. There's your exclusivity. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I I'm and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So Holy Spirit, again, we ask that you just help us to understand, help us to think through some of these big, big truths in this chapter. Help, to help us to see application in our lives. Help us to see not only the, the, the truth of it, the doctrinal truth of it, but actually help us see how it impacts our life and the world that we live in. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we see there in the, the lower half, the, the second half of the section that I read, verse 60 and on, uh, which I provided just for context. We'll get to that uh, next week. But many of the disciples heard it and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is a hard saying. 
who can listen to it. When we read the Apostle John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, when we read the Apostle Paul, there are hard sayings. That's what escapes many people. The survey I just informed you of what escapes many people. There are some very hard sayings. And we're seeing some of those sayings in chapter 6 of John. People hear the message of Jesus. They read it for themselves. We point people to the words of scriptures and they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Hard. Yes. The teachings of Jesus, the real teachings of the Bible, have hard teachings in them and they're wonderful. They're glorious. They're merciful. They're gracious teachings. But they are hard. Hard teachings. They're a gracious gift that God gives to us. Now, these hard sayings that the crowd is confronted with here in chapter 6, and we're confronted with as well, they're very gracious gifts. And there are several reasons that those are, are gracious to us. And one of the reasons is that they're very gracious is uh, that they drive us to humility. They drive us to a place of humility because all human beings, we all share this in common, we're all very prideful of ourselves in our, as far as our relationship with God is concerned. And if we rightly read the scriptures, we will be humbled. We think of the hard sayings is what we, we considered last last week very hard saying that no one can come to the father unless the father draws them that's a very hard saying there, uh, there's hard truths in in scripture and one of those truths is that there's nothing that you and i can do to merit our way into eternal life it, there's nothing that we can provide, nothing we can give God, nothing we can present to God on our own behalf that would make God, that, that, that would persuade God to say, yes, I accept you. There's nothing we can offer. That is very humbling. All of the major world religions, apart from biblical Christianity, all of the major world religions operate on a premise that you can offer something, you can do something that will ingratiate yourself to God, merit yourself to God. Not with the Apostle John, not with Jesus, not with Paul, not with the Scriptures. Nothing. That's very humbling. If we, if we take it on and we, we internalize it. Let me just share with you one of the hard truths for me that really helped me. And, and as I was growing and coming to understand and, and, and wrestling with the things of God and God was working in my life, 
here's one of the, the, the truths, and, and I'd even say that for a lot of people, it may be the most foundational of the hard sayings. I have, you have, the inability to come to God on your own steam. You do not have that capacity. I do not have the capacity. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Do not have the capacity within ourselves, nothing in us, no matter how kind we are, no matter how benevolent we are, we have no internal capacity to genuinely come to Jesus Christ, to come to God and want all of God, to desire God. That was a, a very foundational, a very hard passage, a very hard teaching for me to understand that my depravity is total. Once that hard saying comes into play and is settled in our minds, a lot of the other ones work themselves out, it seems to me. Once we realize that our depravity in our relationship with God is so extensive that every corner of our being is touched by sin. Not just one corner of sin, not, not one corner of our life, another corner of our life. All corners of our life are, are touched by sin so that my, my nature, my human nature, I am incapable of coming to God without divine help. God has to break through. We might say, be born again. We might say, need to be regenerated. Some of those big words that we think about because my, this does not mean we're the most wicked person that ever walked the planet of the earth, on the earth. Remember, we're not comparing ourselves with the guy across the street or the lady in the cubicle in the office next to We're comparing ourselves to what God expects and God's standard. And there's nothing within my being that makes it possible for me to come to God. And that creates a, a, a crisis moment because according to Jesus, according to the scriptures, that eternal life is necessary. I, there's a lot at stake if something doesn't change. Coming to the understanding, coming to the truth, that my inability, that my wretchedness as a sinner is so horrific, so distasteful to God, He will have nothing to do with me apart from Jesus Christ. Have you gotten there yet in your thinking? Are you, are you in that place? Let me ask you this. 
old song, you remember John Newton, that, that, that old, old song John Newton wrote? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You just finished. Thank you. That's right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. Can you sing that old hymn, that beloved hymn, can you sing that with authenticity? God is gracious to us because He presents hard truths. And for me, perhaps for you, that was the hardest. Then, then when I try to wrestle around the atonement, what forgiveness means, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does it mean for the church to gather what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to take the Lord's Supper? When I'm trying to get my mind all around these truths taught in Scripture, I have the foundational one in place. I'm a wretch. Depraved to such an extent, I can accomplish nothing, no matter how benevolent my works might be. Give, give, give all of my material things to to people all over the world and be very kind. It doesn't earn me any place with God at all. Then I come to understand grace is amazing. But until we get there, grace isn't amazing. And we can say to ourselves, well, other religions in the world, I guess they'll take us to heaven too. God gives us these truths, these powerful truths to bring humility to us. And that humility is a great thing. That humility is a powerful thing. That humility is something that gives us perspective. It gives us a sense of the sin in our own life. We're, we realize that we are helpless, helpless before God. And then we fall down and we plead for God. God, do something with my life. I'm, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. That really is helpful because it gives us some perspective. It gives us perspective on our own life, on who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what biblical faith, biblical Christianity actually teaches. Most importantly, as I say, it gives us perspective about ourselves. We come to a truth. We're not judging other people or condemning other people. It's like I'm coming to some truths, some perspective about myself. It gives us, these hard truths give us the opportunity to see False teaching, false thinking exposed. It helps us to, to see 
the, the, the power, the, the, the evil of sin and how it, how it distorts our thinking and how it disorders our life. And we don't minimize it by saying, well, I guess God will just take care of that. We can see that the, with new perspective that it's my sin. Not her sin or your sin. Or, it's my sin that distorts my life. Yes, there is sin in the world and it impacts us. That's a big truth and another topic. But the bigger one is our own responsibility. But here's another truth. <laughs> there is great hope. Great hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God breaks through. There is a means. There's not a wishy-washy, well, I hope so. There's a means. There's a, a grounding of truth that we have hope, confident hope, informed hope, that, that change is possible in this life, eternal life, possessed in this life, at the moment of conversion, is going to bring change. The change is possible, whatever change that you might desire, change is possible. And not only that, the bigger one is eternal life with God. That's truly possible, concrete, uh, con concrete proof, con concrete reality in the cross of Jesus Christ. As I say, it's not just a wishful, philosophical set of teachings. So Jesus is presenting a hard truth here, and the people are saying, "These are this is a hard saying." I am the bread from heaven. Whoever eats my flesh, whoever feeds, verse fifty-four, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So some interesting words, powerful words he uses there. My flesh. Flesh referring to the essential nature of Jesus. Who He is. My, my flesh. Whoever eats my flesh. Jesus is speaking symbolically. Metaphorically. That tripped up the people and that does today too. But the whole section, it begins with the miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fishes. But He's using that that, that bread picture, it's on the mind of the people, okay? So he talks about bread. I'm the one who sustains life. He talks about his essential being, his essential nature, who, who he is. God and man, as we've already emphasized over weeks, weeks prior here in the Gospel of John. Who Jesus is feeding on my flesh. Who is Jesus? Just another religious teacher? Well, you'd have to think so. If you're thinking other religions in the world are going to take you to the same place, he's exclusive and there's no one like him in his sinless perfection. Son of God, son of man. No one is like Jesus Christ. Very ex exclusive. With perfection. Living with perfection. Drinking of, of my blood. What does blood refer to? In, in the Old Testament, blood refers to judgment. And then the, the sacrifices and the blood blood that was being given in the, the temple and, and all, all of those animals being slaughtered and the blood being given, pointing towards the true Lamb of God, the atoning, whoever eats, whoever believes who I am, who the reality of what I'm presenting to you, Jesus is saying, who believes who I am as the Son of God, the Messiah, 
the, the one who is, has one nature with God, unparalleled, unequaled with anyone. Whoever eats of that, whoever drinks of my atonement, whoever by faith drinks of my atonement, the blood sacrifice that I've given for sin, well, those are the ones who will have eternal life. Whoever eats, whoever drinks, these are really application comments. It's, it's, it's not kind of like a, a theoretical, philosophical, doctrinal thing. It, it can be that. There's certainly doctrine in it. But it's application, reaching, taking Jesus, saying, Jesus is mine. He might be yours. He, he, he may be yours, but He's mine. It's application. And what's really intended here, what Jesus is saying, the stakes are so high. Whoever seizes Jesus by faith, whoever, whoever takes Him by faith, He's mine, my atonement for my sin. Because I'm so wretched, the depths of my sin are so ugly and so horrific to God, I see that, and I need a Savior. I need atonement. I, I need righteous blood to cover my sin. Seizing Jesus as He's mine. He's the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully man. No one like Him. Lived a perfect life. A great teacher, but much more than that. Seizing who Jesus is. Jesus speaks metaphorically. Here he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, we'll get to it. I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, I am the door. John 15, that beautiful passage that our sister loves in the back there. Jesus says, I am the vine. He's speaking metaphorically. Symbolically. Some want to take what is intended as symbolic and make it literal. We are literalists. We literally believe the Bible. We literally believe this is a symbol. He's speaking symbolically, eating the bread, being nourished physically. Now, it might help you, it has for me, to compare a few verses here. Just in chapter 6, verse 40, 47, and 54. Verse 40, verse 47, and 54. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. If your eyes drop down to verse 47, you can kind of hold your finger there at verse 40. Whoever believes has eternal life. So there's this looking, there's this believing that's connected with eternal life. And then in verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has 
eternal life. There it is again. And I will raise him up on the last day. And very similar to what we see in verse 40. This feeding, this drinking, refers to looking upon Jesus, believing in Jesus, believing in having eternal life. That's going to be very, very important for us to be aware of. So there's some context that's needed trying to give that. But this eating of the flesh and this drinking of the blood, there's symbolic ways of speaking and believing and looking upon Jesus. They don't refer to a literal eating flesh or a literal drinking blood. They're, they're symbolic, speaking metaphorically. They, they don't refer to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, if you prefer. It's not in, it's, that's not in the picture here. And there's some reasons why we can think through that, why that would not be in the picture. I just showed you the the connection with the verses that we have in front of us. It's believing and looking. It's faith that, is, that Jesus is dealing with with these people. Their, their faith. The Apostle John might speak of receiving Jesus Christ. He might talk about believing Jesus Christ. Might talk about looking upon Jesus. All of those packed with, with meaning, faith. So, first thing we can come away with when we think about this eating and this drinking is that the Lord's Supper hadn't been instituted yet. So it would have been completely confusing to anyone there hearing Jesus that the Lord's Supper was being referenced because he hadn't instituted it. There are other passages dealing with the Lord's Supper, but when this passage is used and lifted to bring as a proof text that Jesus is teaching on the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or communion, communion it had been instituted. Secondly, this idea of literally eating flesh, literally drinking blood would have been uh, reprehensible to the Hebrew people. Cannibalism was out of line. In the Old Testament, every Jew would have known they were prohibited from eating meat with blood in it, prohibited from, from taking in blood. So any kind of cannibalism, he couldn't have been talking about that. Could, could, he had to be speaking in some other way. Even Jesus, as a, as a rabbi, as a devoted Jewish man, would have known to, that, that eating, drink, drinking blood would, would have been prohibited. And that was out of bounds. It, was, it would have been actually scandalous to actually imply that. Now, if, if that were what it meant, to eat the wafer, to drink the cup, to break the bread, eat the bread, to drink the cup. If that were what it meant, 
that would mean that we could do something to earn our place with God. That we could merit our salvation. We, we, could, we could put ourselves in a position where God would be obligated to receive us because we had done this particular ritual, this particular religious act. Why? That just stands in the face of being saved by grace. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of your own doing, so no one can boast. That, that, that would not be, that would not be right. And then, if, if that were true, if we could actually come to a table and we could actually eat Jesus, or if we could actually drink, literally, Jesus, well, that would prohibit a lot of people who come to faith and never had the opportunity. What about that thief on the cross? On the day Jesus was crucified, having those thieves on one side or the other, the, the, the one thief believed that Jesus said, this day I'll see you in paradise. What about him? He didn't have an opportunity to come down and have communion with everybody. There have been a lot of people in their, their final seconds, their final moment of life, or whatever tragedy was before them, they came to faith in that instant. They never had a chance to get to them. But Jesus says that it's, he's being pretty exclusive, very exclusive, I would say. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Well, that can't be right. And probably uh, one of the most startling ones, the one that's most in front of people every day today is if that were true well then many people ignorant of the things of God and the things of Jesus Christ and salvation and many people who are just ungodly would be allowed to be into the kingdom of God would be allowed to have eternal life and in fact that's where it's what we see in a lot of places today. That that's exactly, that's exactly. I know for a fact, right here in the Bay Area, that's what some people are thinking. They came and they received Jesus by eating the wafer and drinking the cup. Nothing could be further from the truth of John chapter 6. This is not a proof text for that. Eating and drinking are symbolic by faith, clinging, seizing to who Jesus is. But we have people taking part of a, a communion service or a, a Lord's Supper service of, of some kind. And because they, they ate Jesus, because they ate Jesus, they, they, and then they, they, they think that they're one with Christ and they go out and they live any other way that possible. Now that can't be truthful. Many Bible students would look at this and say, no, that, that can't be what Jesus is talking about because they would be a possessor of eternal life and eternal life changes. It's 
spirit that changes person, gives eternal life. But those with eternal life have a changed life. Well, that can't be it. Just, just going through some ritual or going through some form. And then there's, just from practical experience, that this literal eating or literal drinking, not taking this as symbolic, well, it's not really our, it's not our experience that people that do that always have eternal life. To merely go through the religious ritual, well, that doesn't necessarily produce the changed life that I just mentioned. We see it all, all around. That when a person comes to Jesus, the message of the Apostle John, the message of Jesus in the New Testament, the Bible, the message is when a person comes to God in sincere faith, when a person comes to Jesus Christ in faith, they change. They see it in themselves. Other people see it about them. They change. But this practice of just going through these rituals and taking on the the, the food and the, the, the drink don't really work out. We don't really see that. So there's some reasons why the doctrine of transubstantiation is held within the Roman Catholic Church and, and within the Orthodox Church. There's a reason why Protestants would say that's out of bounds. That's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Eating bread and drinking his blood. So, Jesus speaks here in a very powerful, very inspired way, of course, speaking symbolically and not literally. When we think of this eating, think carefully about that as well. Verse 51, I am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world, all kinds of people, not just Jewish people, all kinds of Gentile people, for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. I'll raise him up on the last day. Now thinking about eating, that word it say in itself is very powerful and theologians over the centuries have thought about it and looked at it. What does it mean to feed or what does it mean to eat? on Jesus. Arthur Pink is very helpful in this area. But you, in your own personal relationship with God and in your own experience in the world, can, can identify with eating or with feeding. To eat something or to feed on something. Why? That's something you, you have to do. It. It's essential. It's essential 
they here actually eat. It's essential that you, you can you can look at the food and how, how, how nice that cake is. Uh, you can you can smell the food. Oh, how wonderful that roast smells. You 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 can be attracted to the beauty of that food. You can be attracted to the beauty of his teachings, the morality of who Jesus is. You can be attracted to the miracles. But until we feed, eat, that means eating, internalizing, taking in by faith, taking on Jesus, having Jesus nourish us, taking him in. Until we do that, we can think about all these other wonderful and grand things, but they don't really, they don't bring what Jesus is talking. They don't bring the eternal life to, to feed is really essential for everyday living. Now, when you eat this afternoon, this evening, your activity of eating is going to be in response to a need. You're, you're, you're going to personally have the sensation that you need to eat. Eating Jesus satisfies your need to eat spiritually. You have that need, that hunger. Now the problem is, just as we talked before, I talked, we thought about, we don't sense that we have the need. Isn't that our experience really? Is it, is it, is it mine anyway, my life? A lot of people I've talked to don't really sense the need. It's nice to be a Christian. It's nice to be a believer. It's nice to be a follower of Jesus. That's a good thing. It brings morality and maybe respect in the community or maybe a martyr. It, it's, a, it, it's a thing that might be nice, but we don't experience the, the, the need, the deep, deep internal working that says, I need to eat. I need to eat truth. I need to eat where eternal life is found. I need that. And that's where God changes our heart, changes our life, changes us internally, that we have a sense, I need to eat. When you eat, you probably set aside all of your your intellectual curiosity of how the food was put together. How many half teaspoons of this? How many tablespoons of this? How many cups, two cups of this? What was it that, that may be of interest to you and surely is as you grow in your favorite foods that you like to eat, you like to inquire about those things. How is that put together? When you have a need, it needs to be fulfilled. When you have a need, when, when, when there's something, I, I need it. 
Well, I'll get to those issues later. Let me just eat now. Just let me, let me just, let me just have Jesus now. I can, there's a lot of questions that, that don't seem to be coming together, but I do know one thing. I need eternal life. That's only found in Jesus. I, I, I see that much. Let me eat. So, Jesus says to eat and to drink. And as we've already touched on, there's some real application that's involved in that. See, David here, he, he can't eat for me today. I'm, nor I for him. He has to do that himself. There's some application. Stepping up and saying, I'm going to take this in. This is mine. Now, there's some commitment in that, is there not? Some of you that have traveled internationally will know that there's some commitment <laughs> ingesting a food you've never seen before. That there's commitment that, I, I, I don't know what this is, I'm just gonna step up, I'm going to take this, I'm personally going to apply it, I'm going to take it by faith that it's not going to kill me. I'm going to take it, apply it to my own life. And then, of course, it's personal. That act of eating, that act of drinking that you will partake in today is very personal to you. That's a personal act. It's about as personal as it gets. What you will decide to put in your mouth to go into your body that's personal. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, very personal. The priest cannot do it for you. Being born into a certain situation cannot do it for you. In the wisdom of God, doesn't he use beautiful illustrations Beautiful symbols, eating bread, drinking his blood. It means something personal. Now, if we take that and we do it personal, personally, and that has results. Have you ever met someone who, maybe a young person maybe, or someone in your life that had been eating? They're not eating well. They can really, they can really be thin, really thin. They're not functioning like they they should. Maybe you've seen someone, and as I say, a young person in college that comes to my mind, a young person in, in their young years in, in in college, and they're not functioning like in a way that would be healthy for them. They don't really have a real taste. For food. They just really don't have it. And you can see it. 
You can see when people don't have a real taste for the food. You don't condemn them, you want to help them. But you can see it. That personal eating has results. Now, that person can say, I, I just love waffle fries. I love to eat waffle fries. You know, you can't get waffle fries here at the East Bay. Some of you know that. I love waffle fries, and I do like to eat, and all I'm going to eat is waffle fries. That's the wrong kind of food. That's not nutrition. That's not, that's not the kind of food that will make you strong. That's not the kind of food that will make you think properly. That's not the kind of food that will make your body, your mind, your heart, will make your, your blood function in a way that it was intended to. That personal act of, of eating that personal act is very personal, personable, and very personal. And it has results. Jesus says, whoever feeds, whoever drinks, that action, sincerely done, that action will have results. We've got a couple generations out here that think that coming to Jesus, if they don't have the results, oh well, that's just kind of where they, their personality is. <laughs> you think that Apostle John would buy into that? Change. Eternal life. Eating Jesus. Internal life. We're not going through a ritual. Put our mouths to a cup and eat a wafer and then go on out and live like the rest of the world, talk like the rest of the world, act like the rest of the world, think like the rest of the world. Something hasn't changed. There hasn't been any change. There, there haven't been the kind of results that would indicate that they're eating well. When there's, there, when there's this person is eating well, they're having this healthy intake. They're having this vibrant life. They're, 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 when you see them eating well and they're healthy, they're, they're, their life is kind of electric. You kind of, wow, look at all the things you're doing. Wow, just, just interesting. They have an interesting life because they're not curled up over in the corner eating candy bars all day. They're, they're healthy. It has results. So missionaries, you have heard all of this. You have to help people understand there need to be some results. And if there's not any results in your eating, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Before the end comes, the Lord Jesus comes, something needs to get straightened out because what you're eating, what you're applying to your life, the need that you think that you have, well, it's not bringing the kind of results, not that I say that there should be, or a group of people say, but that God says that there should be. 
So, we want to help people to understand, missionaries, that there is only one way to eternal life, and that involves eating and drinking Jesus Christ by faith. It comes through an understanding wrought by the Holy Spirit that I have nothing to offer it. I live in hostility and I'm an enemy to God. And it comes with a realization that God breaking through and His grace is amazing. And the only way that I'm going to have eternal life, the only way that I'm going to have change in this life is by coming to Jesus in sincerity and faith and eat Him and let Him, let the Spirit work through me and bring the results so exclusively through Jesus. But... Where are the results? Again, so everyone hears me clearly. Not to condemn another person, but to help them see the truth of the gospel that something has not connected in their thinking. Something has not lined up with what Jesus is teaching. And many will say to you, that's a hard teaching. That's a hard teaching. And they'll leave. That's God's business, not yours. We'll look at that next week. Let's pray.